Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, this is episode 26. I'm just going to keep counting the shows because it's fun. You might have heard this guy on the latest Patient Black podcast episode. He is from Lake Minnetonka. It is Adam Rudiger. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm listening to Madhouse. Well, I was just before we started this. So either you're great or you're very disappointed that you had to stop listening to Madhouse. Oh, good, good point. Let me tell you, and then you tell me. Okay. Out of the first two Madhouse albums, I much prefer the second one. You're in the minority there, I think. Um, really? Based on, based on what I've heard from other people. Um, I think if I had, like, had to choose one, it would probably be eight. But there's certainly, I certainly love 16 and there's a lot of really great stuff on it. I think I'm that way because I got the C- the actual CD, official, the real CD of 16 way before I got eight. Like it would right. have been, it would have been like at least probably three or four years. So you had serious bonding time with it. Oh yeah. And then I got eight and I'm like, ah, 16 is way better. <laughs> and I've that had reminds, to to eight. It reminds me of when Sacrifice of Victor came out on VHS around the same time as The Undertaker. They were like within oh, the yeah. same week. Yep. And I really wanted Undertaker. But for some reason, I got Sacrifice of Victor first and I watched it and I was like, uh, this is this is just all right. And then when I got Undertaker, I was like, oh, no, I like Sacrifice of Victor better. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. uh, and 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 now Sacrifice of Victor has taken its true rightful place as in my rankings. Mm. So it's one of the best videos released, I think. Well, it's one of the very few properly filmed after shows that we've got. So just for that, it's way up there. Oh, it's amazing! Like the way that there's so many cameras and they get right up all in the mm. action. It's fantastic. You know, as soon as you say Sacrifice of Victor, I just instantly think of the guitar solo in Call the Law. It's the first thing I think of every single time. Isn't it amazing? It is insane. I wasn't sure when I first got the Money Don't Matter Tonight, you know, CD single with the holographic. A hologram. Yeah. um, And I was like, is this by a different band? Is this really by the NPG? Um, Mm, And then. Yeah, it was a bit different. Yeah. It was a bit different. And then, of course, like you think you listen to the guitar in the background. You're like, no, that's Prince. That's Prince's sort of Mm. language on the guitar. It's such a great track. I'm so glad the NPG are performing that live to this day. Yeah. You saw them when they came here. Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, last year. Oh, it was so good when they played that. You know, you do miss Prince on the guitar, but still, just to hear them do Call the Law, it's great. Call the Law and Juice and a Quarter were the two highlights oh, of that entire gig Juice for me. Juice and a Quarter. As I soon as that, as soon as that riff started Juice lyric. and a Quarter, I was sitting there next to MC, and we just both looked at each other and we're like, no way. <laughs> That was so funny. And if they wanted to top that, they could have pulled out Return of the Bump Squad or something, but they didn't. 
Mm. Nothing off Exodus. Not even Get Wild or The Good Life. It was pretty strange. Well, a few shows they have played The Good Life in Europe with Sonny singing it. So there's there's still hope because Sonny is coming to Caloundra in October. So I've, I've put in a request. We'll see. I wouldn't ordinarily go to Caloundra, but if Sonny <laughs> yeah, T it's is not a be there. big destination, but I'll, I'll do it to see Sonny T. It's worth it. Back to Madhouse. <laughs> Madhouse 16. Just okay. just the first track. Nine. Unbelievable. I agree. That is just such a, such a mental track. I love it. Like 9 and 12, my two favorite tracks on the album. 12 just has got that total, like, this is like a 50s game show, and it's great. But 9, I mean, apart from being just an insane track, I mean, what a, what an intro to an album. It just blows your head off every time. I like, oh. um, I like 13, particularly the 12-inch the version. Ah. That remix 13, version. The Paisley Park yeah. mix. Yeah. So good. It's just got this kind of apocalyptic feel about it. It's really like the sounds in it are so cold. Mm. Whatever the reverb they used. When I was at Paisley, um, Tommy, the tour guide, showed me one of the desks in one of the studios. And he goes, yeah, that's the desk where they recorded all the Madhouse albums. I was like, shut up. It was in studio, <laughs> uh, studio B, actually. Shut up, Tommy. Oh, my God. And he goes, but you can't go in there. <laughs> he was teasing. Here is a chat we had only only a few days ago, and you tell the story about Tommy, the tour guide at Paisley Park. So here it is right now. The other incredible thing that happened at Paisley, so I didn't actually go to official celebration, but I went to Paisley Park on my last day in Minneapolis um, as Dr. Fink's guest because the Revolution were performing, and he got me in. Ugh, and when I got there, they showed this concert video in the, in the main soundstage, and then... Uh, Tommy is this, not Tommy Barbarella, Tommy's this uh, tour guide at Paisley Park that I'm friends with on Facebook. And he came up to me and he goes, Adam, it's Tommy. And I've never met him in real life, obviously. And I'm like, oh, yeah, hi, hey, hi, Tommy, how are you? And he goes, I'm so glad you're here. You're, I love your music. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? I've come to Paisley Park and the tour guide is telling me <laughs> he not only knows about our music, but he loves it. And he says... I'm yeah. going to take this tour now. You should, you should be in my tour group. And I said, okay, cool. I don't really know what I'm doing. I've just got this lanyard that gets me into stuff. So <laughs> cool. So we go into Studio A and he plays everybody. There's about 20 of us in this tour group. He plays in this, uh, the track. It's called Soul Patch. And it's from Black is the New Black. So the last thing that Prince mm-hmm. was recording, another jazzy kind of record right before he died with Adrian Crutchfield on sax and Mono Neon and Kirk Johnson on drums. And he plays about a minute of this funky track and then he stops it and he goes, now everybody, if you like music like this, then you have to check out Lake Minnetonka, this band from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm like, what the hell? And he gave me this big rap to the group. Uh, and then he kept bringing awesome. people up to meet me during the day. He was like, have you met Ingrid Chavez? I'm like, no. He goes, oh, come over, I'll introduce you. <laughs> what? So that was, that was a hell of a day. And see the revolution twice. Meet Lisa Coleman at First Avenue in the morning before we went over there. And <laughs> yeah, I just I had an amazing time at Paisley. So, Tommy, if you're listening, thank you, buddy. I, I really appreciate that. So there you go. <laughs> I feel like minutes have gone by since yeah. we're in our own little Paisley world. <laughs> it's so funny. If anyone else listened to this show and, like, doesn't know all this stuff, we're like, oh, nine. Nine's the best thing ever. And people are like, well, what's happening? What, what, what is this all about? Look, but, they've uh, had, <laughs> like, 35 years to get onto this to fi- stuff, you know? 
That's right. Like, we can't spoon feed them everything. Come on. Because we haven't talked about originals enough. What are your thoughts on that album? Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. I think it's a really good release uh, from the estate. I don't think all the songs are, are improved in their, you know, original versions. You know, I, I think the Maserati version of 100 Miles Per Hour is vastly superior. I think Baby Your Trip is um, vastly superior, the Jill Jones version. Uh, oh, but you love you love that Jill Jones album more than anything, so that's understandable. I do love the Jill Jones album. Um, I mean, you know, I I don't love the version of um, With You. Mm. I mean, I like it better than the Prince version, but I just don't think it's a very good song. And I, I know that uh, on, on the Peach and Black podcast, you discussed at length why the hell it was even included. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's because I guess Prince kind of wanted it you know, kind of offered it to her, but uh, yeah, I don't think that was the strongest material, but anyway, back to baby or trip. Yeah. The Jill Jones version is fantastic. I mean, the Prince version is good to hear kind of where it came from, but I think it scrubs up better on Jill Jones, but what does improve is makeup. And I love oh, really? the original version of makeup, but the, the sounds, they're even more glitchy and weird on the Prince version. And I was like, why? Uh. It's like they, they cleaned it up. It's like they made it a bit more radio friendly or something, which is weird because it's not like it was going to get played on radio anyway. But uh, yeah, I was surprised when I heard it. There was like some really different stuff going on sonically. Like I, I just, I panned that track. I panned it when it was on, when the original one came out and same here. It's just, just not it's a just, favorite. It's, I don't know if it's the, the style of the music or the fact that it's basically just a four second riff that just goes for, you know, three minutes with him just saying random words. I just, I don't see the appeal of it, but that's, that's just me. I don't know. Yeah. For me, it's a vibe thing. I just, I really like the kind of gritty, mean kind of synths. It's quite, it seems quite pessimistic, the sound of the song. And mm. it's kind of, kind of a weird character that he's playing and then that Apollonia is playing. But I must say that that was a big inspiration for the Lake Minnetonka song, Hoops. Uh. When Fran and I were discussing how we were going to have the lyrics delivered, I said, I think it should be totally dead. Let me just play you this song. (laughs) Let me just play you a little song and have a listen to this. Huh. That's right. Well, she knew, she knows it, <laughs> but uh, uh, we we really we really zoomed in on it, and uh, and I said I think it should be deadpan, just be like completely disinterested when you do the vocals, and then we um, we multi-tracked them so it's three or four layers deep of Fran deadpanning all the lyrics. It was definitely inspired by makeup, and the other uh, track that um, I think really shines is Gigolos Get Lonely too. Because that is not a song that I oh, ever again. related to, or <laughs> thought, or thought anything of the time version. Uh, yeah, not that into. But r- there's actually like an emotional depth to it that Prince is able to convey that that I feel that kind of Morris doesn't. And maybe it's because Morris was going right off a Prince guide vocal and was just concerned with nailing the performance that Prince wanted him to nail. But there's just something extra in there, and and now I I like it so much more. Uh, the time version I don't like any more than I did before, but. Uh, it was so great to hear that version. Did you have a different feeling yeah, on that? Yeah, same thing. I wrote off Gigolos on the Time album, mostly because it's a ballad and Morris Day singing it, and like that's just comedy straight away. So I I agree. It, <laughs> so it's you couldn't take it seriously in that way. But then I also didn't think it was a very good song. And then you get the Prince version, and I get what you're saying. You know, Prince better than almost anyone can emote with his vocal, but I still don't think the song's that good. It's okay. There's that one. I just couldn't believe. Yeah. 
there's that one chord at the end of the chorus that gets me. Just the like the last. There chord, are a few. Chord. There are a few things in there, and you're just like, oh yeah. <laughs> there's some great details. I mean, the thing I love about Prince is even when he's totally writing a tune in his sleep, you know, a twelve bar blues or or whatever. There's always just some arrangement idea that makes it pop makes it you know worthless with the exception of hot summer but most, <laughs> 99% of the time yeah it's the arrangement that brings it to life as much as the composition you know like one of the annoying things was that there's supposedly like a a full version of gigolos and it's like 10 minutes or something why and didn't we the get version, that exactly the version on the time album was pretty much the same as what we got on originals just like 4 minutes something but again if there's a full version what are you doing it, what are you doing? It watches <laughs> me the songs that I mean. I I assume it all in good time, and and they will they will come out eventually. But still, all that vault stuff from the eighties, like Rebirth of the Flesh, and uh, there's others here with us, and things mm. like that. Never been officially released. The original version of Old Friends for Sale would be nice. Yeah, and people do say, "Oh, but is that what Prince would have wanted?" To which I respond, "If he wanted anything and wanted it to be enacted after his death, should have had a will." Exactly. I was just I was waiting for that. That's exactly right. If he had any care to what was going to happen to the vault, then there was an easy way to solve that problem. Very easy. And he chose. I mean, and he chose not to. So, end of story. Really. I wonder if his lawyer or one of them was like, "Prince, do you think we should get onto that will thing?" Is like, "No, keep scrolling YouTube." <laughs> find those videos <laughs> of that baby dancing to let's go crazy for, for four seconds and let's sue them that's the way that's the way forward he said send them a c and d and the lawyer oh cease and desist yeah that's what prince want prince meant send him chaos and disorder you know <laughs> need to get rid of these cds i've got under my bed <laughs> uh that was uh yeah he went a bit crazy on that stuff but it is still hard to believe that he didn't have a will i mean every you know he went through lawyers like anything like at least every couple of years there were new people around and he could, how he could, could have ridden not... his bike down to the post office and just got to do it yourself will kit will kit exactly yeah <laughs> but every but, single uh, lawyer that came into the scene you know it's isn't it their like duty to like bring up like you know i just went through all all, all the papers of the previous guy notice there's no will um maybe they're um maybe that <laughs> maybe we should get on that through so nope. many lawyers Every time the as soon as they says, brought up the will, he dumped I've them. just noticed Prince is like, you're out of here. It's like, what did I do? What did I do? It's like, you're just like all the rest. <laughs> you're trying to help me protect my future. No, get out of here. Do you think it had something to do with his religion? Like he figured that uh, when, when you're gone, whatever else doesn't matter and he's gone to the next uh, realm and it's irrelevant? Well, no, it, it is relevant. But, you know, as it's we know. It's not relevant his, to him anymore. No, but his view on religion changed that many times. You know, maybe maybe post like 1998, 99, it was like, no, I'm not doing that. But, you know, Purple Rain making millions and millions of dollars. How could there not be something even then for lawyers to say, you know, maybe you should put something on paper to look after this stuff. And even back then, it's just it's hard to believe. Maybe when I was at Paisley, I should have looked in the piano stool or like under the cushion on the couch and just made sure. Exactly. It could be anywhere. Do you know hey what? guys, I think you missed something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing? I just, I actually just read this somewhere in the last few days and they're like, imagine if they're going through all these vault tapes and they actually find a tape and he's recorded his will. <laughs> the amazing thing is yeah. they might, they it's might called, not get to that. It's called I Will. It's on Chaos and Disorder. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if that existed. Imagine if he just recorded like 
10 minutes of, you know, I want this to happen. It's pro- It might not even be legally binding because it's got to be signed and witnessed and all that stuff. But imagine if they found that. And the stupid thing is not, they might not find it for another 10 years to like go through all the tapes. It's just crazy. Like, Whatever you do, never bring out my version of Gigolos Get Lonely 2. They're like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Especially that piano and the microphone thing in the, from 1983. I'd never want anyone to hear that. No. It's just the first release that they blast all over the world. Good plan. Uh, I want you to take the vault and move it to a mountain in LA. Hey, cool. (laughs) We got something. We fluked it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But uh, you said 100 miles an hour. Mm. Like, I don't mind this version on on the album. It is still very funky, but that guitar that's just all over it, I don't think that's meant to be there. It really just sounds like they found the tape and they're like, just push it all up. If you recorded it, it's meant to be there. Yeah. That little guitar noodling just everywhere over that track. Some of it's funky, some of it's not so good, but most of it's pretty good. But that could have just been him just stuffing around just for fun, never even intended to be on any mix. But then we get this with this wanky (laughs) guitar all over the track. And it's just like, it's hard to know. You know, it's weird. But it's also hard to be judicious, like who gets to go in and decide which guitar lick is in and which guitar lick is out. Exactly. That's one of the things that they've got to figure out. It's like how far can they go with, you know, creative decisions, like with stuff like that. Well, this is something that I've talked uh, many times about with my manager, Claire, and she had the idea that you could get different people like Susan Rogers, Eric Leeds, Dr. Fink, whoever, you know, insiders to come up with a list of what they would want to see released. And Mm. then you have some kind of, I don't know, fan voting system to decide on the track list. I'd like to see, I'd like to know what was going to come out on Crystal Ball 2. Well, I voted on those tracks. Even though Crystal Ball for me is, it's weird because the modern songs and remixes and things are in with, you know, older stuff like Crystal Ball and Sexual Mm. Suicide. I would have preferred that it was more era specific. Yeah. Um, You know, but that's okay. We We have the option now to create our own playlist. So I just, you know, uncheck the box for She Gave Her Angels and... get on with uh, but i do like pum pum though so (laughs) well it is weird because even though it is all over the place it is pretty much 85 86 stuff and 93 94 stuff with a couple of other randoms as well but i remember when it when it was coming out it was like it's an official bootleg so that again that's his sense of humor it's like, I'm going to make this just like all those rubbish bootlegs, but it'll sound good. But I'm going to put like, you know, 93 tracks and 86 tracks, and they're all just going to be mixed together, just like on all these stupid bootlegs. Do you think the gold experience has the perfect level of compression on everything? Well, then you're going <laughs> to love this new mix of That's sexual right. suicide slammed to the top of the dynamic That's range. It. I'm going to win it. the loudness wars with a song I made in 1985. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was probably the biggest problem with that entire release was that the other thing uh, which I, I found interesting was the overdubs on the live stuff like days of wild oh yeah um, yeah what is your favorite version of days of wild good question well i guess it's sort of the it is like the original version which was on that beautiful experience 
TV I show. I hundred percent agree with you. That is the definitive version of Days of Wild. You are correct, Captain. Good. That was so unbelievably awesome. When I taped that off TV, do you I know what? Set the do time you know what? Wrong. I I what? still what? have the clipping from the TV guide. It was on at eleven thirty-five p.m. Right. I still have well, the I, clipping from the TV guide. The beautiful experience. 11.35, I, I think it was on Channel 9. I'm not sure, though. I would have stayed up for that. So wherever I was, it mm. was it was like 4 in the morning, and I missed the beginning of Interactive. Oh, no. So I so I didn't see the first couple of minutes of the beautiful experience till years later. But Days of Wild, I loved it so much, I taped it off the TV onto like a cassette tape, and I just mm. like listened to it like endlessly on the way to school and on the way home from school on my Walkman. I just thought it was the most colossal track, and I loved the video clip. And uh, yeah. is that the one where he's like the girls are driving the car? Yeah, and he's, like he's hanging out the, the top of with the, the car. guitar. Yeah, with his, playing, with playing his, his simple golf guitar, golf hanging guitar. out the back. It's crazy. And he he <laughs> kind of favored these thin guitar sounds at the time, even when they were heavily affected. But that's kind of like a really clean twangy sound. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because when he plays it live, he sort of, he has it in the backing track as well. I guess Morris Hayes triggers a sample of the guitar yeah, solo yeah, yeah. with dollops of distortion and wire and things, but he still mm. kind of plays it clean. And sometimes he would even play it on bass. Um, yeah, and I also yeah. had the, I had the bootleg, which was um, Labataclan, which was an audience recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was great. And that was the first time I heard like babies making babies and hair being inserted into those oh. songs when I was just starting to discover Graham Central Station and mm. Sly and the Family Stone, because you couldn't get that stuff. You couldn't just go down to JB yeah. or get on that, you know, Spotify and, and listen. to. The, you'd heard about these bands, but you didn't get to actually hear what they no. sounded like for ages. There was no YouTube. Oh, those were the days. The internet changed everything. If only I could go back in time and go, don't pay $50 for that CD. You get it for free in 10 years. I promise you, you'll hear it before you die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but oh yeah you think about the money of cds that's just sitting on the shelf collecting dust and you just cry yeah very sad <laughs> but also then another good version of days of world was the one from the other tv special the love for one another one yes that, that that's one's a, that's really a good funky version they sort of yeah. syncopate the groove more it's really good isn't it mm. Um, but the version whole, on Crystal Ball, not so good. Yeah, the version no, not he so put good. out, I think, 2001 or two, not so good. It sort of seemed to get heavier and heavier, but it didn't get better. And it got more and more G-rated. And by the end, when he's, oh, when he, yeah. the na- nadir <laughs> for me is when he says, um, instead of motherfucking liar, he says, big old liar. Big <laughs> old liar. Big old liar. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's like six years old. <laughs> God. You're a big old liar. <laughs> You're a big old liar. <laughs> Who you calling a big old liar? Pop, You're a big pop, old liar. Pop music's all kind of wrong. Yeah, I don't know. But but um, even worse, yeah, like the 2012 lyrics of Days of Wild were so, you know, you could sing that to babies. It was just, <laughs> it was almost embarrassing. Like when you know it, where, it, where it came from, like the original lyrics, and you're like, how far, you know, how far have you fallen to doing the big old liar? It's just hilarious, really. I mean, he's got lots of options. He could never perform the song again, like he did mm. with many songs. Uh, it's not like he doesn't have many other monster jams, or he could just write another monster jam, although let's hope it doesn't turn out like Act of God. And, um, <laughs> and or he could just, you could do it instrumentally, you know? Well, I'm, I'm, you a, know, I'm a huge st- he's fan of playing, He's still playing Darling Nikki ages ago, but he's still teased it now and then, and Actually, occasionally he'd play a little bit of it. 
Yeah. Um, he was quite playful with that sort of stuff. You know, he'd start a song and people would be like, oh my God, he's going to do it. And then he'd be like, nah. nah. <laughs> a bow. There's mm. that version in Beautiful Experience, the video, they're playing All Blues, the Miles Davis tune for a little bit. And it sounds so cool. And I would love to oh, hear yeah. sort of that, that era in NPG jamming on more jazz stuff. And it was weird when they have the 3121, that sort of like, you know, have that jazz room in Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jazz cuisine. Tra- <laughs> yeah, looking at the track list, it was always really dusty stuff, like really old, daggy jazz tunes. It didn't seem to be too hip. Prince had a very interesting relationship to jazz. I've thought about this a lot, and I think maybe I'll do my master's on it. Mm. Um, but, you know, talking to Eric and talking to Matt about Prince's involvement with jazz, he he tended to recruit people around him who were far more versed in the jazz vocabulary that could bring those flavors to his music. And, yeah, so he had kind of flavors that he knew how to do, but he really didn't have the harmonic and melodic vocabulary of, of the jazz idiom. That's not to say he wasn't an amazing improviser, but oh yeah, but with like really serious jazz stuff, into. yeah. If you're not educated in that way, it's not you can't just walk in and do it. <laughs> yeah, but it does. It doesn't matter because all those flavors are in his music because he's got Eric Leeds and he's got it's he just got smoother. You know, he got it. He started with Eric and Eddie M occasionally, and then ends up with Najee. No, 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 mm. no, 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 Najee. Well, go away. even that, even that last was it MPGQ. Yeah, and that was around the same time as Black is the New Black, isn't it? So that was Adrian Crutchfield. And and it is, yeah. Um, and Even Xavier Taplin, who is just here for um, uh, with Ghost Note. So he's a great uh-huh. player. Like, even though we heard very King. little from that NPGQ thing, it did seem to be, you know, even softer, like smoother. It might have had a bit of an edge to it, but we haven't heard much of it to know, but... I doubt it. I really like uh, xenophobia and things like that 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 are really oh. hard-hitting, biting kind of instrumental. That's the kind of stuff that I like to try and write for Lake Minnetonka. Expectation. That's that's a, it's a good album. Yeah, and there's great stuff on C-Note as well. Nagoya, I think, is my favorite. Mm. So good. You, you can thank yeah. me for ex- Expectation being released, if you didn't know. Uh, do tell. <laughs> okay, it was, I've got to think of the story now. I just know that the start of it and then I forget. Okay. It was the 26th of November, 2002 in Fukuoka in Japan. And at the MPG Music Club Soundcheck, I was in there. And me and, I don't know, about 40, 50 other people, all Japanese from memory, who spoke little to zero English. So who did he end up talking to? Me. And I said to him, (laughs) and I said to him, amongst many things, is because he'd put like that little, I don't know, 20, 30 second xenophobia teaser on whichever website he had at the time. And uh, like, that have... was the um, the studio version of xenophobia. Yeah, yeah, which never yeah. came out. No, but it sounded good. Oh, it said, yeah, it sounded great. And I said to him, I said, you have to release the xenophobia album. And he just looks at me and he's like, what are you, my manager? Which, you know, classic <laughs> line from him, of course. And I'm like, yes, I'm your what, manager what, and I'm telling you what, that you need to release that album. And he just laughed and... um. And so, and literally what, five weeks later, that album came out. So you're welcome. Thank you, Captain. It came out 1st of January, 2003. So I, I was very happy with that turn of events. <laughs> and then what else did you do in your managerial capacity? Did you get him to write um, a will? I tried, but, you know, he kicked me out. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I, I didn't see him for years and years and years after that. <laughs> Don't call me, I'll call you me. Yeah. But the funniest thing was when we talked to him in 2010, and I started telling him that 
he remembered. And that blew my mind because you just think how many people he met every, you know, day-to-day life, maybe not as many as we think, but still it was eight years previous to that. And he remembered that he, I didn't even say it. I said, oh, back in 2002 in Japan, I, I said this and he, and he said, without me even prompting him, he said, what are you, my manager? Eight years later, he remembered that he said that, that blew my mind. Maybe he just says that to everyone. Probably. It's probably a common thing. And he's like, yep, that's probably what I would have said. So, but still, I'm just, just like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> I know he has said that in other situations, but it was just funny that he seemed to remember it. Those are some great shows. Obviously, I wasn't there in Japan in 2002, but I've heard the bootlegs. They're pretty amazing. That was a great period, I think, for him. He was yeah. stretching out. The band sounded particularly good. Like, I'm actually not such a big fan of Renato Neto. Um, uh, let's do another one of those internet high fives. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. Cool. 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 Uh, yeah. With so, his, uh, with his just, endless noodling. He's very clean. He's just a very clean jazz you know, player. Technically he's amazing. That's give him props yes, for that. Absolutely. But fitting into a Prince van band doing funk and pop stuff. He sort of fit in, but he always seemed like he was like half in half out to me. I just want more grit from him, you mm. know. So even his sounds that he used are very kind of polite. Like, I'm going. I'm like, going to put some very polite delay on. It's going to be the politest <laughs> delay you've ever heard. It's not going to be on, this on the cleanest shit on the cleanest piano you can find. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And now I'm going to do a Montuno. It's going to be boop, 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 beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep, <laughs> you know. And I just want some Thelonious Monk in there, you know. I want some ugly, ugly beauty, you know. Like he uh, is. I will never say he's not a good player. He's an amazing player. I just, he's not my style and I don't particularly like the way he played in Prince's band. He did some good things, but I just don't think he fit in. But again, amazing player. Like you see him doing just his thing in other bands and you're like, holy moly, that's what he does. And it's amazing. But he just never like fit for me. I don't know why. Yeah, but I, I do think that there are some some particular recordings from, from around 2002 where the entire band was sounding really good. And regardless of what sounds we think we want to hear from from a Prince band, Neto fit in to that overall fabric, you know, with Rhonda and Blackwell. And that was really good. I particularly enjoyed Cassie O'Neill. I thought she was a phenomenal keyboard contributor to the NPG. And I would have preferred for her stint to be longer. She was awesome. Oh yeah, on those Australian shows, like oh, she did some some great stuff. Was it was it something in the water that she played? Yeah, that he sang? yes, that was, yes, that's yes, great. Yes, yes. Like they, they even he even released a version, a live version of that. He he thought it was that good. So that's that says something. She's um she's an incredible gospel player, and she does that modern gospel stuff, which is extremely harmonically sophisticated. And there was a DVD, uh, an instructional gospel piano DVD featuring her that I bought because I wanted to oh. learn some of that stuff. And it's interesting because uh, there was a guy sort of interviewing her, sort of asking her the questions, oh, can you show us this this song or this chord progression? And she really didn't discuss anything in theoretical terms. She'd be like, oh, yeah, well, it's just kind of like I play these notes. And it's it's almost like when you grow up speaking that language on on, on an instrument, you don't necessarily have the theoretical yeah. knowledge yeah. to be able to communicate that. Yeah. You just speak it. You can't it. explain you can it hear. in words. You just yeah, do it. Yeah, you can hear. 
where, you know, I, I probably want an analytical thing where she goes, okay, well, I'm doing a tritone substitution on this chord, and then we're playing this in this mm. inversion, and then it's this sequence. But no, it wasn't like that at all. She's like, well, I sort of, it's an E, and then it's a G sharp, and then it's a B, and then I move it to this. Mm. But, you know, it sounds Prince, incredible. Prince was like that too. Like, he did all this yeah. weird stuff, but, you know, I doubt he could have actually explained what he was doing. Oh, he can I tell you something funny on that? You know, there's that scene in Graffiti Bridge where he's holding like a stack of sheet music. Oh, it maybe. says like God is alive or something, and then there's oh, all these yeah, dots. Yeah. I zoomed in on the DVD because I wanted to see what the <laughs> dots were, and it's like The Shining: All Work and No Play Makes Jack a Double, where every page was identical. Uh-huh. He sort of flicks through a few pages, and I was like, "That's the mm. same thing. That's the same thing." Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I think he underestimated the level of obsession <laughs> his bands, especially like the music nerds who were like, what voicing did Prince use on a song I've never even heard? Oh, it's all fake. Uh, it's nothing. <laughs> oh, but yeah, he, he ju- he's another one who just played stuff. I doubt when he's doing a guitar solo, he's like, oh, now I'm going to do a pentatonic thing. It's like, no, he's just doing it. He's not thinking about what it is or what he's he thinks what he's doing, but he doesn't think, well, this is what that is, which is good. You don't want to be thinking about I that stuff. I find it fascinating where he's teaching a song to the band. There's one for Another Lonely Christmas and there's, there's oh, a few yeah, other yeah. ones. It's like, you know, an hour of him going, it's B, and then you go to E, Mm-mm. B diminished. And, and then, then I want like, the horns to go like this. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> yeah, and then he's micromanaging. is like, hit that snare a little harder. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, very interesting to to hear how how he taught it to the band because I always wondered, you know, it's not like he gives gives people a chart. With my band, I I write out the chart and go, "This is your bit. This is your bit. I don't know what your bit is. You know, let's work it out." That kind of thing. But um, when he when you join Prince's band and he says, "Learn these three hundred songs," <laughs> are you meant to exactly. transcribe the whole thing off the record? Because often he hid the parts in the mixes he didn't want you to be able to figure out what it is Mm. and i think it was levi that said when he joined the band and he was playing bass prince made him go to the multi-track the original multi-track tape Uh, and isolate the bass now that i've heard junk music that would be my next holy grail of bootlegs (laughs) if i could hear a tracked version of alphabet street oh my god because the bass is so poppy and um Mm. Uh, complicated and it's very it's up very high it's playing all these fills yeah you can barely hear it because it's very deep in the mix but it's it's definitely in there it's some outside stuff it's fantastic and then of course later on prince always did alphabet street with that four to the floor beat i like country music too and it ruined it ruined it i love the beat in alphabet street it's amazing um it's very probably sheila wrote it yeah <laughs> but then as soon as they put it the put the doof to it ruins mm. it it's not alphabet street anymore when i was in bands years and years ago we never wrote anything down it was like you make the song you learn the song you play the song and it's all just in your head it's it was never written down and you'd have like 20 songs and you just know them and that was just how it was and i guess he imagine if one of those songs was three chains of gold and another one was crystal ball <laughs> But it's and the same. But it's the same thing, though. Once you learn it, you know it. That's it. It's true. It, it would, hey, Prince, what's that third quarter purple rain again? I keep forgetting. <laughs> That's as far as I got. I was trying to learn it. It's just too hard. <laughs> you wouldn't last too long. <laughs> what um, What instrument do you play? Well, I hardly play anything now because I have arthritis in my hands. 
but I started playing piano and then guitar and bass. And oh, you're one of those multi instrumentalist people. Oh, yeah, was I, I'm I'm retired. <laughs> I did get coaxed back to play guitar at someone's 40th birthday a year or two ago, and we played Peach. So that was fun playing playing that song on guitar, like note for note to the studio version, was really fun. I bet. But um, bet, and considering it was the first time I'd been up in front of anyone in probably 10 years, that was interesting. How did you go? Was it was it challenging? One bad note. One bad note in a guitar solo. And most people didn't even notice, they say, but it was so obvious to me when I listened back to it. Because, you know, there's a couple of really big bends in one of those solos. One of them just mm-hmm. didn't quite make it. And I'm just like, ah, I didn't even notice when I was, maybe I did notice when I was doing it. I can't remember. But listening back been... to it, I'm just like, oh, no. It was one note off. That was the perfect version. Oh, well. I've been checking out the guitar soloing guitar the song guitar and um, trying to get that on keyboard on a, on a guitar kind of sound, oh, and yeah. get, it to, get it to sound good, which is another thing altogether because mm-hmm. you can't, you've got to actually play voicings similar to the way they're voiced on guitar. You can't just play your, your regular piano shapes. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't work if you want it to sound properly like a guitar. So that's been fun, but there's this guy on, um, youtube jason reed and he's got about 200 print songs broken down all the guitar and bass parts wow. he's unreal and he's got a patreon that i that i support because i just thought man this guy has given me so much good information i three dollars a month or whatever it is i'm i'm yeah. happy happy to donate he's great thanks jason if you're listening doing a great job yeah i'll have to have a look what is it jason reed yeah r-e-a-d and he goes What's up, guitar buddies? Today we're going to be looking at Holy River by Prince. <laughs> Elephants and flowers. We're going to do the guitar solo from Super Funky Califragilisticexy. <laughs> it goes deep. It's really good. <laughs> Did it blow your mind when Prince pulled out Elephants and Flowers in like 2001 and started playing it at like the celebration? That was the most. Uh, I saw no. that on the track list before I listened, and I'm just like, what? He's playing elephants and flowers. I mean, it was just like no, because I always expected guitar version him, or something. I always expected him to do wacky stuff, so that that stuff never really surprised me. But I, I think one moment where I was surprised was on the piano and microphone tour when he started doing Black Sweat solo piano, and that <laughs> yeah. made me very happy. I was like, "This is awesome!" And then mm. the other highlight for me was he did Time, which is one of my favorite tracks oh, yeah. from Artificial Age. Yeah, um, did I just love that. that. The vibe on that tune, that could just go for another 20 minutes as far as I'm concerned. It's so good. So um, that was a which surprise. Shows, was just like, which shows did you go to? Melbourne ones? Uh, yeah, I went to the, I went to the, uh, I think I went to both late shows. Oh, okay. Melbourne nights. So that was what, like and six, it was a 16, 17, I think, Melbourne? Yeah, it was a good. One, one, I had a really good seat, very expensive, really good seat. And the other one I was up in in the uh, up in the back and when i was up in the back i i was had really annoying people around me i had one person who insisted on singing uh, along to everything and i'm like uh, he's not doing the album version that you think you know shut the fuck up and <laughs> and there was someone who who was doing that but they they seemed w- wanting to pick a fight and they kept turning around and if i was looking at them they're like what what are you looking at what <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah so, i've 
yeah, I rarely go answer. to shows anymore because yeah, there's just too many idiots. I just spend half my night looking for possible problems, and I just can't enjoy it anymore, which is sad because I don't drink. And Australians are idiots, and they don't know how to control themselves when they drink. That's quite obvious, especially in Sydney. So it's well, in just- Sydney, they're like they got to get it in because they're going to stop serving at a certain point, and they're like, "Oh my god, I got to get my, got to get my drink." Oh, but then you just go to Newtown. It's a problem solved. Is that what you do? Okay, I'll keep that in mind for when we when we visit yeah. next. As soon as as soon as Sydney closes, CBD, everyone just goes to like Newtown or Redfern or somewhere just out of that area and keeps yeah. going. <laughs> If that's something you got to do. Right. So it's only the CBD. As far as I know, yeah. I mean, it's been on for years, but since I don't drink and rarely go out anymore, I it's not affected me in any way. So It's probably I good hear. health-wise. Yeah, but then all the cheeseburgers probably balance that out. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Hey, look, every <laughs> everybody has a vice. Mine is the opposite of eye ice. Eye ice. <laughs> that's it. Oh, Opera, Sydney Opera House, the piano microphone shows. The first show I was, you know, when the opera house is set up and it's got like those choir seating, like behind the stage and on the side, mm-hmm. I was yep. in, I was in, I think the third row, like over Prince's behind him, like looking over his right shoulder, which was really good. I couldn't see his face much, but I could see most of what he was playing, which was great. Copied his like, and stuff. Oh yeah. Everything. Copied it all in my brain, which doesn't work anymore. But it was good just watching his hands play all that stuff. And then the second show I was in, I think, seventh or eighth row, pretty much in the middle. So I was looking like straight up at his face. So again, then I couldn't see his hands, but then I saw all the face expressions and everything. So that was great from that view. Then the there were four shows in Sydney. I only got to three. The State Theatre one the next night, me and Tojem and... Uh, a couple other people. We were literally in the, the back row of the state theatre. The back row. Like I was leaning against the wall at the back, at the top. Prince was way down there, but the sound was unbelievable. The sound in there was better than in the opera house. It sounded yeah, so good. Yeah, the opera house can not sound so good, depending on the show. Especially I, I when he's a... just banging away on all these low notes on the piano. It's, it gets a bit muddy. and I mean, it was still good, but state theatre sounded amazing. Well, do you know what's like, what I found really back. weird that he used his keyboard? You know, it's uh, I assume it's a motif because all those American artists love their moti- mm. Yamaha motifs. You know, in a and shell he mixed it in with the synth or something. Yeah, yeah, he had the string. That's what made me twig, and I went, "Oh, he's this is kind of like schmaltzy string pad over the top." Wait a minute, mm-hmm. he's playing. He's playing a keyboard. I understand why you would, for sonic reasons, not having to mic the piano. But when you're in a venue like that, why not mic the bloody piano? Yeah. That's what Herbie would do. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? But it was um, crazy, those shows. We were so lucky to get them. You can thank us for those shows. (laughs) I I thank you guys for a lot. I'm looking forward to thanking you for your Madhouse episodes. Uh, they'll, they'll come one day. We'll get there. You're going to run out of other stuff. You'll be going, okay, we've reviewed Des Dickerson's book. What? Uh, Adam, <laughs> Adam says Madhouse. Uh, mm, let's review the Oak Tree 12 inch. And, uh... <laughs> oh, God. We'll get there. We'll get there. Let's review the video clip to Bang Bang. <laughs> I would like to make an introduction. <laughs> Let's go track by track on Raise Up. There you go. That'd be that'd be something. <laughs> is, that, is that Larry? That's Larry's twenty. Larry. Well, yeah, he, album, he, I think. 
yeah, well, it's when he re-recorded half those songs. And I asked him about yeah. that, and he was like, "Well, I don't own the rights to them or to those yeah. recordings, so I had to re-record them." So many people yeah. have done that. Roy Orbison did that, I think, around eighty, so eighty-five, eighty-six. I want to say because again, same thing. He just couldn't get hold of the original tapes, and whoever had them wasn't giving them up. So he just re-recorded like all his biggest hits and put out like a greatest hits album. Was but the that the is, album? Was that called Roy Under the Joy Fantastic? Oh, <laughs> I think that was it. Yeah. When you yeah. when we we're talking about Sacrifice of Victor earlier, and you said that that was one of the you know the professional shot after shows, even Rave is shot like crap. Like it's not an after show oh, per se. Rave but is Rave is horrible. He, because the editing it's like is, of the times, it's a total f- setup. At least you know, some of the heard, times is is a good polished product. It's well edited and it's well shot. Rave is not yeah. well edited nor well shot. Well, at least it's a step up from Aladdin. Yeah, how Aladdin is also similar. Rave to great. Aladdin though, because that is that's just a bunch of you know drunk people in the audience with like high eight handy cams just wandering around filming the floor. It's just it's the I most think it actually looks better than Rave. I'll, I'll take Aladdin <laughs> over Rave. No, I would. Rave is really is is really bad, but I'm excited to see this German Blu-ray special Sign edition. Of the Times. Times. That'll be amazing. When will that footage that's in the Omnibus BBC documentary? Oh, yeah. Of Camden after Musical show, portrait. yeah. When, when Ron Wood got up and um yeah. and, and when they were checking the ladder and all that. Where's that footage? I want to see that yeah. entire sound check and that entire after show. That would be incredible because yeah. he was absolutely at the peak of his powers at that, that time. And the band was so good, the, that post-revolution lineup. Taylor Dane, all that stuff. No, Atlantic no, not Taylor Listen. Dane. Misha, Mick, Mika, Mika Paris. Mika, yeah. Mika Paris, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's all I remember the, vault. the first time I watched and, that uh, on, a, on a rubbish VHS copy, but still, it was so good. When you've seen the musical portrait enough times, you start realizing who doesn't have anything to say. And I would say Randy Newman is the most pointless person in there. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he could, they ought to notice him a little more, you know, you know, you could tell he couldn't be a bad guy. Like, why are you here? I mean, he's, sure. Randy Newman is Randy Newman and he's fantastic, but as an authority on Prince, uh, I feel his insights were not that. Yeah. <laughs> notice him a little bit more. What? Yeah, That's yeah, what made yeah. the cut. Imagine what didn't make the cut. Oh, you know, wearing some, wears a lot of purple, you know, I've noticed yeah. that. Didn't they have that album about purple something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always remember Miles. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was just, it just looked purple. 1999. Yeah, that one. That yeah, one, I that one. Confused. I always remember Miles <laughs> Davis in those, in that thing. He's just, he was a funny, funny guy. <laughs> oh, he's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Miles. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we want to hear as well. Eric told me about when Miles came to dinner at Prince's house and um, mm. Prince invited Eric along because he couldn't not. Eric had pretty much introduced him to the music of Miles Davis and made him listen to all this extremely hip yeah. shit. And John L. Nelson was there as well. I and, think I heard uh, this. I think I might have heard this on some podcast. Or some interview that Eric did. And was yes, Sheila there probably. as well? Was Sheila? Or I'm not? not sure if Sheila was there. I think else. he mentioned Sheila. But yeah, Prince's yeah, dad jo- John, was there. Yeah. And he tried to ask Miles a question about 
you know, what do you, I can't remember who the musician was, but it was some, some jazz musician. He goes, oh, you know, do, do you, do you listen to, I forget who it was. Somebody's probably listening to this yelling at it there. But <laughs> it's, it's Hank we Mobley. Can't, we can't hear you. Anyway, he goes, he goes, you know, do you listen to this person? And Miles is like, why the hell would I listen to him? Just, <laughs> just like. <laughs> yelled at him and um and apparently prince just like burst out laughing like fell <laughs> off his chair was in hysterics but yeah. eric felt really <laughs> awkward because he's like oh my god miles davis has just humiliated prince's dad in front of everybody and um, <laughs> he said it was a really awkward moment for him but prince just like broke up it was the, the funniest response Poor guy. And then uh, Eric was like, oh, I've got this painting that Miles did. And he showed Eric in his apartment. He has a one of Miles' original artworks uh-huh. um, just on his wall. Eric has just such a deep connection to that music. We, we talked mm-hmm. so much about the types of jazz that Eric likes, Afro-Cuban stuff, Weather Report. And, you know, he absolutely worships George Clinton and, you know, Fred Wesley and Maceo as a, as a horn section. It was just really awesome to get an insight into Eric's other musical influences. Uh, you know, we we know about many of them that he's spoken about, but uh, you know, I feel really fortunate to have been able to discuss that stuff in depth with him. Mm, that would be good. Did I tell you about when I got my picture with Eric in Minneapolis the other week? Mm-mm. I was at I was at the Ice House uh, seeing LP music, yep. and Eric played a little bit of Pacemaker, which is the his original composition that it contains the horn line from Rock Hard in a Funky Place. Oh, yeah. Prince just appropriated. So when I first made contact with Eric, I said, hey, um, I just think that Rock Hard in a Funky Place is like the best horn line ever written. It's amazing. And he goes, oh, you know, it's from this tune I wrote called uh, Pacemaker. And he actually sent me the music, the lead sheet of Rock Hard in a Funky Place. And I have it uh-huh. as EJL up the top in this computer font, you know. And um, so every time I talk to Eric, I'm like, hey, when are you going to play Pacemaker? Hey, when are you going to play Pacemaker? And I'm always <laughs> bugging, bugging him. And I know that LP Music have recorded it, but they didn't put it on their record. And I think they, they want to do it even better because it's this expansive composition. It's not just that horn riff. There's all these other parts and it's this real Latin mm. number. And anyway, Eric is at the Ice House in Minneapolis. I'm there on the mezzanine level and he starts playing. That's playing rock on the funky place real fast. And I'm filming at the time. I've got this all on my phone, actually. I just happened to be like filming as they were playing because it was an amazing mm-hmm. moment of the gig. I thought, oh, man, I've got to I've got to remember this later. And I just happened to get this on camera. It was filled with joy. I think I screamed uh, on the record. <laughs> <laughs> and afterwards this I went up to Eric and I <laughs> and I said, I said, Eric, you know. I'm sorry to be a fanboy, but can I get my picture with you? Like I've had my picture with Eric a few times and, you know, he's, he's we've recorded together for Crying Out Loud, but I still couldn't help it. Like, I just really want to get a picture with Eric. Amazing night. And uh, I'm getting ready to take this selfie and there's this voice behind me. It goes, oh, do you want me to take that? I turned around. It's Steve Park. Uh, Steve Park uh, is at the gig. He's standing right behind there and he goes, oh, do you want me to help? I'll take a picture of you. And I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> So I've got this picture of me and Eric where I'm Thank grinning like a total wow. madman, <laughs> not because I'm getting my picture taken with one of my musical heroes, but photo by Steve Park. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god! And, um, and Steve was an incredibly nice guy. I, I kept bumping into him in that week because we kept going to the same mm. sort of things. And um, yeah, what a what a mellow dude, and he was is so lovely to take that picture <laughs> just to offer. Mm. So yeah, so I've had my I've been photographed by <clears throat> Steve Park. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could bring oh. out a book and it would be like the graffiti bridge sheet music. It would just be the same picture of me and Eric Leeds on every page. <laughs> Photo book by Steve Park, coffee table, hardcover. <laughs> Adam Rudiger from Lake Minnetonka. A <laughs> hundred pages, every page is the same photo. Yeah. <laughs> Here's just another little bit. This is an outtake. It's an official outtake from the Peach and Black podcast when we talked to Adam. Uh, this is when he talked about meeting uh, Wendy, Lisa and the revolution. I think Lisa specifically. So here we go. I got to meet her for about two seconds um, <laughs> just a, a few months ago when the revolution rocked up to get their picture taken with uh, their star Avenue. outside First yeah. Avenue. And, um, and I, uh, I yeah. had a bit of a gushy moment. I was just like, oh, my God, Lisa. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're amazing. You've been an inspiration to me. And I, and I have a band in Melbourne. We're called Lake Minnetonga. And I'm like, oh, no, it sounds like I'm trying to network. <laughs> but I just, I just got this a bit. This is my business card. <laughs> I just got a bit carried away. And then I was like, can I get a picture with you, please? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Um, and then I. Oh, that's funny. I was getting a ride to Paisley Park with Dr. Fink. And he wanted to go like mm-hmm. right then. So I wanted to hang out and chat to Wendy, but I didn't get to because I had to um, get my ride, which was also uh, cool. You'll be back. I'll be back. We're, I'm planning on taking back. the band over there next year because <gasps> um, it was a great vibe. And, and I met quite a few musicians who were quite keen to share a bill with us and things. And I've been to a bunch nice. of the venues now and I'm sort of like starting to get an idea of where we would play and what we would do. And, you know, I've been over twice now. So, yeah, it's time. Let's just Yeah, we're thinking there. about going play bunkers. 2020. Oh, I'd love to play bunkers. I'd, lo- I'd play the Ice House. I'd play, you know, Fine Line would be amazing. Fine Line. Dakota. Mm. There's, there's a Ooh. lot of great venues. It's very much like Melbourne, actually. Nice. And not like Sydney at all. No, not like <laughs> Sydney at all. I mean, I don't want to diss you guys, but uh, yeah. No, it's well deserved. No, Sid- Sydney's horrible. It is. <laughs> For music venues, at least, anyway. Yeah. What else can we talk about? I don't know, Captain. There's lots, but, um, you know, maybe maybe we should leave the crowd wanting more. I mean, we uh, we covered a lot of territory, I think. We hopped around a lot, but I think we've both got the same the same kind of keen archival Prince-related minds that uh, can handle that kind of time hopping. Yeah. yeah. You, you, there'll be a few people just like, you're all over the place. It's like, well, keep up. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard. You just got to like obsess over Prince for like 20 years plus. Yeah. Oh, he, he, before we go, when, what was the first thing you heard by Prince and you, or, sh- or, sh- or should that start the next year? Um, no, 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 that's, e- that's easy. That's easy. Well, I saw Batman, but I didn't know Prince at the time. Oh, this is the same story. But I then saw my Batman, si- and I didn't know it was a, a guy called Prince. Yeah, continue. And then my sister had a CD called 1990 Beat the Heat, a hits compilation. It had like oh, Margaret yeah. Ehrlich and it had this other stuff. It had Thieves in the Temple. And I just oh. I listened to Thieves in the Temple, but I remember seeing a little picture of Prince from the Thieves in the Temple video. You know, they had sort of little, the faces of the artists in, in little boxes on the the cover of this compilation. And I remember thinking, who's that sleazy looking guy with the long hair and the sort of the <laughs> five o'clock shadow? And I was like, no, I'm going to listen to that guy. And then cut to 
one year later. One day I came home from school, I turned on video hits and I saw Cream. And yep. that was the best thing that I had ever seen in my life up until that point. It was the best thing I'd heard. It was the best thing I'd seen. I couldn't <laughs> get over his outfit. I couldn't get over just how fucking awesome that song was, how sexy those girls were. Just yeah. the whole thing. I just I just swallowed it. Hook, line, sink of the whole shtick. The and, whole 10-minute um, video. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just started taping MTV when it was on on the weekend with Richard Wilkins every week and just watching it in fast forward in case there was a new Prince video and I continued mm. that habit for years. Um, yeah. So so it was Cream cream that really made the connection and then I got Diamonds and Pearls and a Discman for Christmas that year. And uh. for some reason, for some reason, I, I just listened to Diamonds and Pearls endlessly, but for some reason I just didn't like, it's not that I didn't even like them, I just didn't want to listen to them for some reason. I skipped Money Don't Matter Tonight and Live for Love all the time. I just jump over them. I don't know why. Jughead, no worries. Push, no worries. Yeah. But then then I just got over that and I started listening to them. And I was like, yeah, they're good. What's my problem? And then I listened to the whole thing. But uh, that was my one weird quirk uh-huh. with listening to Diamonds and Pearls for some reason. I don't know why. Money Don't Matter Tonight is a real, like, studio track, though. Like, even One Night Alone. Like, every time he attempted to play it live, like, half the time he'd just get, like, halfway through the first verse and he's like, nah. Now over it. I'm gonna play I'm gonna play You Want Me, a song you've never heard before and will never hear again. And only a bit Mm. of it. Yeah, he does that on Aladdin. Yeah. It's it was it was Diamonds and Pearls. Well actually it wasn't Diamonds and Pearls. It was I saw Bat Dance, didn't know who he was, that's fine. It was just another song. But it was literally like June, uh it must have been ninety it was May or June ninety two. And my friend at school, Darren. His brother, Dave, was a massive Prince fan, and he'd given Darren this cassette tape and a, I don't know what tape, it was. I guess it was Love Sexy because it had Alphabet Street on it. And one day he brought me, and he played me Alphabet Street, like on his cassette on the Walkman, and I'm just like, what the hell is this? This is bloody excellent. And from then, you know, the thing that I will regret forever is this is literally like weeks after Prince left Australia on the Diamonds and Pearls tour. So I just missed that spectacular bloody show by like, you know, if he'd played that tape to me two months earlier, I would have gone to Diamonds and made Pearls. It. Yeah. But no, I, we had to I play it later the... and I missed it. But yeah. I saw Diamonds and Pearls tour, but I was too Ooh. young to go to the after show. Oh. And I later, I've got a bootleg of that concert from a guy at the Camberwell Market on cassette tape. <laughs> mm. But I had a, a, a readings in St. Kilda on Ackland Street used to be a bookstore called Cosmos or a music store as well and they had a weird cassette that had parade on one side and love sexy on the other it was like a long play cassette um oh yeah, yeah and i yeah, just those, used to listen yeah. to parade all the time i i have a weird habit of skipping things so no, i just listen to parade and i'd rewind and i'd listen to it again then one day my friend dave said have you listened to love sexy and i said yeah no, no kind of like you're yeah, not properly he goes have you heard that line about shake your body like a horny pony i was like <laughs> no <laughs> And then I had to like listen to Love Sexy like properly just to find that line. Of course, that line is in Alphabet Street. And um, Alphabet Street is one of my top five Prince songs. It's amazing. I love it so much. It's incredible. (laughs) So that's my Love Sexy story. (laughs) But it was just like his disbelief. You know, we used to to listen to Prince and be like, oh, my God, did he really say that? Oh, God, he's so (laughs) angry. Big old liar. I can't believe he said that. Dirty fat banker. Oh, wow. He's oh, really yeah. sticking it to him, isn't he? Oh, yeah. 
so offensive. Gonna, so offensive. He's going to strike Prince. his enemies down. I could really believe he's capable of this violence. Yeah. Actually, when My Name is Prince came out, when the video came out of My Name is Prince, I was like, man, he's getting really dark. Like, wow. Yeah. He's, he's like doing the Detroit crawl in a, in a puddle of water. <laughs> <laughs> which is still awesome like that's a great video it's great it's a great video and, um, with like burning trash cans and like burning sunny underwear playing the cloud base sunny tea playing, playing the cloud, cloud base. base oh i know i know Come that on. is the best easter egg that's amazing and, you know what's um, insane and- is like that's literally one second in like a seven minute video and like that's the one thing we talk about that's that's how insane we are that's, that's because that's your only <laughs> chance to see the cloud base apart from why you want to treat me so bad yeah. But, um, but I will take all three verses of Tony M on that on that track. Oh shit! Yeah. And that rap is fantastic. It I is. love it. I will not hear a bad word against it. No. I've been a Tony M apologist for a long time, and I'm showing oh. no signs of uh, of turning no. back. No, that that whole three verses is just. I remember the first time that I heard that, and the flow as well. Like mm. the last line of the flow where he Listen, just like giving and jumping around so much they bring on. That's very difficult. Anybody that wants to diss Tony M, I want them to perform the last line of the flow in uh, at that tempo. Yeah, yeah. Come yep. on, bring it on. Yep. Uh, High five, Captain. Bang. Thank you, man. Okay, this so next time, next time we're going to talk about love, sexy, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about a million other things. <laughs> All right, great. Looking forward to it. Okay, the end. Here is the theme music. First of all, let's just start with saying that on the day we are recording this, this is the exact day that possibly one of your favourite songs, In a Large Room With No Light, was re-released back in 2009. Tell us about why that song is so great. Because I saw you play it. It's good. Um, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and sum it up uh, without going on too long. <laughs> um, it was on a bootleg that I got. One of the first bootlegs when I discovered bootlegs in the <gasps> late 90s. Bootlegs. Yes, oh my God, I know. Um, but I didn't inhale. Um, was, <laughs> it was on uh, Jewel Box, Volume 1. Ah, the classic. The oh, classic, it, yeah. Well, it was amazing. Ooh. And the sound quality was bad, but I didn't care. And um, I just think it was one of, the, one of the vault classics that, you know, should have seen the light of day by now. And... Um, I think Eric Leeds told me that Sheila E was responsible for that uh, part at the end, the outro that's in like 9 8. Because Prince doesn't often use uh, different time signatures. Sometimes yeah. you get a 3 4, like a, a waltz, like um, under the cherry moon. And sometimes you get kind of like a 12 8 kind of bluesy thing or a 6 8. But most of the time he sticks to 4 4. But that part is really cool. Um, mm. And then when it came out. That's probably one of the only times he's ever done such a yeah. out there time and, signature. And Eric, I mean, Eric yeah. blamed Sheila, said that that was a Sheila uh-huh. groove that she came up with. So um, so I love it for that mm. reason. And then when, yeah, when it, it was, when he started performing it live again in 2009 at Montreux, I thought that that might be our um, kind of get out of jail free card because I always wanted to record it, but you're, you're not allowed to record something that has never been released if it's a cover because the artist has first dibs. So none of us are ever actually have meant uh-huh. to have been able to hear it until 2009. And then mm. I, I started investigating whether, because it had been streamed officially on the Montreux website, that would constitute... Is it now okay? And, and is yeah. it now okay? 
And uh, the advice I got was that best not to tangle with Prince's lawyers over such a thing because it's a grey area. <laughs> and any grey area, they're probably going to win. So um, we yeah, actually yep. recorded our version of that uh, at our very first recording session where we recorded Heavy Bread and Hecka Buff and a, a cover of Ten and a cover of Mutiny. And we also recorded Large Room with No Light, but it remains in our vault um, for the aforementioned reasons. But I reckon we could re-record it The Minnetonka it now. Vault. The Minnetonka Vault. And I reckon it would be, it would be heaps better if we recorded it now because the band had just got together, so we're, we're far more settled and mature. Uh, and you've played it live a load of time, so you've really got a yeah, handle on it Yeah, I mean, now. we've given it a rest from time to time, but uh, it's been part of our repertoire since the very beginning. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.